I think what's what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, you your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zella, VP of Marketing at IronSource. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsflyers.com. Hey everybody and welcome to Twig 125. Today we have a very special guest with us, the famous Dean Takahashi, who is the lead writer for GamesBeat and VentureBeat. Probably does not need an introduction, but uh, definitely welcome to the podcast, Dean. And he's also putting on the GamesBeat Summit Conference, which is April 28th to 29th. And Dean, maybe do you want to talk a little bit more about the, the conference? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Dean oh. motherfucking Takahashi, dude. <laughs> we have arrived, dude. This guy's a luminary and he's gone on our podcast, dude. I, I remember this guy ignoring me at, at, at conferences for years and years, but now he's on our podcast. Welcome, Mr. Dean. Have we met? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Who are you Good answer. Good answer, Dean. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, thank you. Um, um, I've been at the Venture Beat and Game Speed for 13 years now. And uh, I am uh, uh, the curator on the uh, the Game Speed Summit Conference. And uh, that's happening April 28th and 29th. And uh, uh, we have um, some folks like uh, Bobby Kotick, the CEO of Activision Blizzard, uh, coming to speak. And we have a pretty interesting um, uh, diverse audience uh, this time as well. Well, so we've got uh, Laura Mele from um, the head of studios at uh, Electronic Arts as well, and some some other folks that are still in the planning. Nice. Mm. We're gonna ask him about his two hundred million dollar bonus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's see. We'll see how that goes. It's, it's all in BattleNet, so it's fine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they, they, they gave the, they gave the one hundred fifty dollar gift certificate to all the. Blizzard employees, they shit can, and he gets two hundred million dollars of stock, right? Yeah. I like the roller coaster of, of, of events because last episode we recorded, it was like yeah. the worst we've ever recorded, and this one we're back on top with Dean on it. So. I, I think I think he gets Call of Duty points, but uh. <laughs> all right. So just covering the news that we're going to be talking about today. So first, Mr. Beast Management Company Night Media has a new venture fund that's backed by creators, reported by TechCrunch. Second, 2K Sports acquires HB Studios, signs PGA Tour 2K deal with Tiger Woods. Third, Thomas Bravo SPAC agrees to take Iron Source public. Fourth, facing post-Trump slowdown, New York Times eyes $100 billion games market, uh, reported by Bloomberg. And Dean, if you want, maybe we could even cover this uh, Discord sale, yeah. potentially with more than $10 billion. Mm -hmm. And that's the news we'll cover today. Any other kind of personal updates or other things going on with you guys? Nothing that I feel like sharing. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all bad. I just I, this is a public service announcement to all you uh, people out there that are thinking about having kids. Please avoid having kids in San Francisco. It's a fucking cesspool of shit and nonsense <laughs> that you have to deal with in order getting your kids educated. 
And mm-hmm. it's it's a, one of the most amazing places to grow up in, in the world. It has been. I mean, I'm very biased because I grew up here. But man, the system these days, we got placed in the worst school in the world where we have the most, the best school, like two blocks away from us, right? For high school. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. And the private school system, avoid it at all costs. Go live in Marin or freaking Orinda or something. Or Finland. Oh yeah, or go to the happiest place on fucking earth, Mr. Finland. God damn it. Um, now, now anyway, Dean, sorry. isn't this kind of bad to be mixing news with like politics? <laughs> I didn't say anything political. I don't know. I mean, uh, it affects the game industry, I guess. Um, you know, uh, uh, I hear I hear lots of similar things from people who are based in San Francisco. It's uh, it's not yes. good for the the core of the Bay Area. I think uh, you know if the, the core falls apart, then well, you know, the rest of it will follow. And I'm I'm in the rest of it, so I'm right. I'm okay for now. So Eric, being supported by Dean, <laughs> <laughs> I like him already. All right, rolling into yeah. updates. Adam, you want to you want to go? Yeah. Um, so one update from me. Uh, Eric Schufer did an excellent summary, I think, this week of the latest updates of the Epic, Epic versus Apple um, fiasco. So specifically, his point of view on the reasons why ATT um, uh, app tracking test transparency is happening. Number one, to take back control of distribution on the App Store. Number two, to use privacy as a consumer crusade against Facebook and Google's core values. And number three, to benefit its own ad network search ads, uh, which I think is a great summary. And uh, secondly, I think he really talks about the latest development in Epic v. Apple after the red herring of um, Apple actually saying, if you make less than a million a year, you only pay 15%, uh, which actually recently Google just announced. Um, so that was their way of getting a little bit of the, off their back, but. Um, specifically now Epic is arguing that it has reached a scale that it doesn't need any of the benefits that Apple's App Store is offering as part of the 30% cut. So um, typically when Apple talks about what that 30% cuts value is, they're thinking fraud prevention, payment processing, tax accounting, discovery, et cetera. Epic proposes that really it doesn't need that. So Apple should be giving developers the options to operate on iOS without the tax, right? So if developers don't see any value for that 30%, why do they need to pay for it? And which Eric argues is actually partially the reason why ATT is happening. Um, Because uh, ATT actually increases the importance of featuring an app store discovery, making that value hard to dismiss even at scale. And the only way that ATT is actually governed is that app store review. There actually are ways to get around all of this idea phase stuff if Apple never checked. Um, so these are very important bits. That's my only update. I love Eric. I mean, the guy is so freaking consistent on this stuff, you know? He's he just, really is. He's railing against the machine, dude. These big yeah. bullies at Apple that are just doing whatever the frick they want to do and, and screwing everyone over, you know? So I don't know. It's going to be interesting in the next couple of weeks to see how this is going. I got all this analysis all set up so that every freaking day I'm seeing exactly what the impact is by product, by genre. I'm, I'm going to see that dashboard. Yeah. yeah and, I, I, and you know what? It could, be, it could, nothing could happen. Nothing, right? It could take months, years. Who knows, right? No one knows, right? But I tell you, these stocks are not trading like anything is going to happen, like Snap and Facebook and Twitter and, you know, all the gaming stocks. So we'll see what happens. All right, I got a couple updates. Nothing really that major. I, I um, noticed one small thing about the, you know, the um, internet uh, uh, advertising bureau was stirring up some trouble for, for Apple in um, in uh, France, and that the the French antitrust authorities were going to look at the IDFA changes um, as, uh, 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 you know, and for the anti-competitive effects that it might have. Yeah, anything in Europe too tends to actually go a lot faster and get done a lot faster in terms of regulations. So maybe that would that would be a bad thing for them to go after. Yeah, it's, it's also interesting to see what happens with China because uh, with the CAA, CAIT, the uh, the way they circumvent the IDFA in China, the one, the one they've been planning, if Apple will let that one go, then the whole privacy doesn't have any meaning. Yeah, dude, that would be just the biggest hypocritical move ever if they let that, that will, go. And I mean, then you, then everyone should know 100% that all they care about is selling devices, right? They don't but, care about their partners. They don't care about even the ad revenue that they generate from the store is, I don't think, is as relevant as just pushing devices in China and everywhere else in the world. So Yeah, guys, but they, let's, let, let's be fair. Like, there, there should be a need for better protections around data privacy. So, 
mm. you know, we can speculate on Apple's motives, but like that on the on the Android side, yeah. there have been a lot of a lot of issues in terms of data privacy and things privacy, like that. Privacy, Who cares? <laughs> Who cares if they know that I wear boxers instead of briefs, dude? What the fuck? Who cares? Anyway, whatever. I'm not going. Moving on. All right. Jade Raymond, again in the news, man. This woman has been everywhere for the last like 10 years, right? But she's still yet to make a game in 10 years or, or more, right? I can't remember exactly what the, the stat is. Uh, the last one was 2013, right? Blacklist. Blacklist. Oh, the, the Splinter Cell, right? Yeah, yeah, Toronto. Yep. All right, which is a, a bomb, right? Disaster. And she, okay. did, she did spin up the, uh, the, the, the studio that made uh, Watch Dogs, right? Yeah, no. No, she gets credit for a lot of things she's never done. But anyway, you're right. She did create that <laughs> studio, but she did not create that game. Okay, yeah. so uh, I never thought that Stadia made sense for Jade, right? Because she's basically an action-adventure style person. And so this, she's making a move to Sony, which makes total sense to me, right? Because that's all they have in their arsenal is basically action-adventure games. Um, so I think that she finally made a home that made sense because Stadia was just never a fit for her, period. End of sentence. All right? Ad network discussion. All right. I listened to this podcast that you guys put together on ad networks, Mr. Joseph. Yeah. And I joke, but I really do want to understand ads and this, this stuff. I do. I, I honestly do. But every time I listen to discussions around this, I feel yeah. freaking dirty, dude. I need a shower <laughs> because it's all about trust issues, stealing ideas, stealing data, stealing product, the whole business just seems like a cesspool of shit. And I, 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 I just feel dirty. I don't like it. I don't like it. All right. All right. Next one. Some updates from me. First, Activision Blizzard CEO to get even bigger bonuses while others get laid off. This is a article published by Kotaku. And essentially, they're reporting that CEO Bobby Kotick will reportedly earn a total payout of nearly $200 million. This is while some of its employees have been sharing personal pay information last summer, protesting low wages. Even further, the company has just recently laid off between 50 to 190 people, as well as roughly 800 people in 2019 and hundreds more in the months thereafter. I think what some of the employees are really complaining about is, you know, why are there layoffs when the company itself is doing so well? And finally, Kotaku noted that recently laid off employees would receive health care benefits throughout the year. And to your point earlier, $200 gift cards to battle.net as part of their severance package. I love it. I love it. I, I I do want to say one thing on this. Like Bobby is ruthless, dude. Like he really knows how to manage his businesses. And so like, uh, I, I got mad respect for Bobby and how he operates, but yeah, this, this is not a good look, uh, generally speaking, but I bet the 200 million was related to something completely unrelated and <laughs> was done years ago. And so it, one has nothing to do with the other, but I, I, I do appreciate the sentiment. This has been discussed a lot in you know private Slack groups and things like that, right? So I think there there is definitely a lot of resentment around this, but at the same time, the, the company's doing well now. Whether whether you attribute that to the COVID bump or whatever, but it was basically the the reason why he got the payout is is essentially a clause in his. Uh, but from and, the board. And, and part of this restructuring seems to be related to the investment that he did in esports, right? Which made no sense at the time, frankly, uh, yeah. particularly for Overwatch. And right. so a lot of those people, like there's no Overwatch lead left like for people to, to work on, right? I mean, or maybe it's there, but it's not really what it, you, what it was. So they just had to get rid of these people, right? So it's just yeah, sad. I mean, I, I guess I would give him credit that he's got the only game company now outside of Tencent that's more valuable than Roblox. Um, <laughs> $71 billion is, is, is the market value. So there's some wealth that gets distributed that way, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I think, think the other the other okay. thing that's interesting is that they have 2,000 openings at Activision yeah. right yeah. now. And, yeah. you know, it, it's hard to see, um, like, I mean, it's, it's it is not a good look at all, for sure. But you know, uh, they lay off fifty people here, and you know, everybody hammers um, you know Bobby for that. But he is uh, about to create two thousand more jobs, and like I haven't right. seen a single story mention that. And you know, um, maybe they're not going to be able to hire those people, and they haven't been able to hire those people. Uh, but uh, but still, like that's that's more of the context. The ten thousand person company is about to become twelve thousand people, 
uh, and they did lay off 50, and I think they've just notified you know people of, of layoffs coming in Europe as well. Right. Dude, this is like having an adult in the room. I don't know if I like it all that much. You know, <laughs> he, he's making too much sense. You yeah, know, what a what a fair balanced view. Actually, yeah, that's a great point. And it, it does seem like, you know, I don't know if Activision does, but, you know, there, there was that sort of management philosophy popularized by Jack Welch and GE, where you just regularly trim off like whatever the bottom 5%. So they, they may have a similar kind of management approach or policy there. But yeah, and to your point, Eric, if certain if certain divisions are no longer being operated related to esports or whatever, then it, it does make sense in, in that context. But you can't uh, you can't argue that the share price has gone up. And if that's how his compensation package is structured, then you know he 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 obviously you know you can argue or disagree whether he deserves that. But it's it, it certainly the share price has gone up, and that's how his compensation package is structured. Next update, Reuters is reporting that ByteDance has acquired gaming studio Moonton, the makers of the popular mobile, mobile legends Bang Bang, for $4 billion. In an internal memo, Moonton CEO Yuan Jing said the company would operate independently from ByteDance, so more of this decentralized model that we've been talking about quite a bit. Further, according to Reuters, Tencent also made a bid for Moonton, but the offer was matched by ByteDance. Finally, Reuters also notes that since 2017, Tencent and Riot Games have filed multiple lawsuits against Moonton for a copyright infringement. Next update, gamesindustry.biz is reporting that the Embracer Group is raising over $890 million for even more acquisitions. According to the article, quote, Embracer Group said it is looking to acquire new publishers, developers, and other assets the latter potentially meaning more IP, having purchased the rights to dozens of games franchises in the past. The company also said it is actively reviewing and evaluating a growing number of potential near-term acquisition targets. Quick history lesson for our audience. First, uh, Embrace's most recent acquisitions included EasyBrain, Asper Media, and Gearbox. Those three deals were worth just over $2 billion with Gearbox as the biggest part of that at $1.3 billion although much of that may actually be in earnout. And back in November, it had acquired 12 development studios and a PR and influencer relations agency. And for anyone interested in Embracer and their strategy, I'll leave a link in the show notes to a podcast and YouTube video interview with CEO Lars Vingaforsch and studio CEOs Kenji Arasaki from A Thinking Ape, Randy Pitchford from Gearbox, and Kengo from DECA. It was actually a really well-watched uh, episode, so definitely check it out. And final update from me, the story no one here wanted to cover. I'll just cover it. No, I don't want to editorialize too much, but the Washington Post is reporting that the Riot Games board found no wrongdoing by Riot CEO Nicolo Laurent, and he has denied misconduct allegations in a new court filing. But for those who aren't aware, on January 7th, the former executive assistant accused Laurent of a hostile work of environment and unwanted sexual advances. So this type of article obviously is very difficult to comment on, especially in our current times. However, just to be fair to Laurent, a special committee was tasked with reviewing the results of a third party investigation that looked for evidence of misconduct. They didn't find anything and therefore declared that, quote, no action should be taken against Laurent. So this is a rough situation because whatever the scenario, if Laurent is guilty, it's a bad situation. And if he's innocent, it's a bad situation. So to wrap this up, we can only hope that the truth comes, comes out. And uh, actually, Mishka, I think you've got some updates, so can turn it yeah. over to you. Yeah, and regarding the last news, the court papers were actually leaked. So I was, okay. I was reading some of them. They were on Twitter. Uh, that we're going into details, and I'm not going to go into the details. If you're interested, I'm sure you can find in the depths of Twitter, uh, you know, the details of these allegations. But overall, just not a not a good look on either side. However, this ends, it's not going to end well for one of the parties. Anyways, um, <clears throat> my updates. So first of all, Laura Toronto, uh, we used to work at King at Scopely, wrote a deconstructions of Royal Match. Uh, that deconstruction can be found on Deconstructor of Fun. So she did a previously the puzzle prediction this year and correctly actually predicted that Heyday Pop won't be seeing global launch with significant change, without significant changes in the team size. 
So why this deconstruction is important? Well, Royal Match comes from Dream Games, and we covered it in the news, I think, a week or two ago. Uh, it's, an ex, it's, a, it's a team formed by XPeak. Uh, they've shipped their first game, and they've raised $57.5 million. And they just, you know, it wasn't a SPAC or anything like that. They raised from top-tier investors. Uh, Index was the leading of Series A, and Index previously invested into King, Supercell, and Roblox. So they definitely know what's going on. And the fact that they invested 50 million in Series A into this company makes it very, very interesting. So check out that deconstruction. Uh, the second update, uh, Niantic announces Pikmin, a next AR game from the makers of Pokemon Go. So the game is set to launch this year. And the Pikmin franchise is all about exploring a very Earth-like planet with packs of adorable Pikmin creatures. So Niantic made a Pikmin game about walking and exploring the world around it makes a lot of sense. So hoping the lockdowns are over so that people can actually enjoy this game when it launches. And of course, this is another Nintendo franchise. And if we look at AR games as a whole, it has had a rough go. I mean, Jurassic World, back when JK was at NBC, holla. It was a success. It, it was. A, <laughs> let's call it a success. It came out from Ludia. It was a success. And, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a success. It was like one of the- Whoa, uh, whoa, of, whoa. That was not a success. That was a freaking train wreck. Just stop Listen. It. Hey, I, I know the row has numbers. It was winners write history, and we're going to call it success. JK was launching that game, so it did, it did phenomenal. Uh, on the other, the other side, Walking Dead, uh, that came in from Next Games. Um, also, also studio, I think, JK, you worked with. I mean, that game was a disaster and almost took down the whole company. And then we got Harry Potter from Warner Brothers. That was a massive disappointment. Uh, okay. That really hurt uh, the Warner Brothers San Francisco. And I, I remember they were coming out saying that they're going to make 100 million and so forth. Like they were really expecting and they should have been expecting a lot from this game. But it was a massive disappointment. Okay, first of all, I, I have two objections to this whole thing, right? First of all, these these games are not AR games, right? Anybody worth their salt turns off the AR functionality almost immediately when they download this game, right? So this is horseshit, right? First of all, there's not an AR. You can't put Hooky on Go and say this is the AR revenue. No, stop it. Stop. The second thing is that I actually went into Niantic to talk to a bunch of product managers about why Harry Potter failed, right? Before I joined Warner. And... I don't think they have a clue as to how to make another game of, of this. And their whole thing is not AR. Their whole thing is location-based, right? And so, like, it's really that's what they should be focused on. So I don't categorizing this as AR is just folly to me. Um, so, I, you know, I wish them the su some success. I don't really know how they're actually going to make Pikmin work. Um, but I don't know what I don't know what they're going to do for a second act. Look, Pokemon Go is amazing, dude. The thing is, it's just a juggernaut, dude. And it's did really well last year, too. And so I'm not suggesting that that's going to go away anytime soon. But creating another success just seems very challenging, and if not, almost impossible. Um, and Pikmin, I don't think, is the right answer. So that's all I got to say. Yeah, yeah, correct. Uh, anyway, next update, Digital Turbine announces acquisition of Fiber for six, $600 million in cash and stock. So this comes less than a month after spending 400 million to buy Ad Colony and just two months after acquiring Mobile DSP Appreciate. So congrats to Fiber. We had their president over talking about their turnaround story just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I think you need to watch out for Digital Turbine. They're really building a, a, an ad tech fortress over there. So <laughs> and they're gonna start acquiring studios. <laughs> uh, let's talk about that in a moment. <laughs> And the last article. Sometime oh, here we go. Though, do you guys do you guys think that's an IDFA play that the you know these companies are selling out because of ID, IDFA and that the, the consolidation is happening because you, yeah you want my opinion I think everyone's just yeah selling out before the the Ragnarok right and then and they're selling at really high valuations and I think everyone's I think personally everyone's afraid but you know they're getting cashing out right go for it. I think there's two things. There's that what Eric is mentioning in, in terms of the risk. And the second part is is just the market is is great now for selling. So those two things coming together, that there's uncertainty in the future, and now is the best time to sell. Let's sell. And, and Iron Source is doing its spec as well, right? Oh my yeah. lord. Oh my lord. We're gonna that, talk about that. That can't that can't end well. That can't end well. All right, we'll get to that. All right. No, go no, ahead. no. Let's be oh, no. not this story. No, please. <laughs> I can't so, take it. I can't take it story. anymore. No. <laughs> Not another ad for Finland. Yes. CNN Travel. 
topic was this country has been just named the happiest place place in the world. So Ugh. for the fourth year running, <laughs> Finland has come on top of the annual list powered by data from Gallup World Poll with Iceland, Denmark, Switzerland, and Netherlands following in second, third, fourth, and fifth position respectively. Researchers say it's no surprise that Finland has retained a top position once again, as the Nordic country has always ranked highly when it comes to mutual trust. Trust is recognized as one of the major factors that helped to protect people during the pandemic, as well as confidence in government. Something, I mean, you guys are Americans, so you don't know what it is to trust your, your government. So I'm just explaining what it, what it really means. Uh, anyway, the United States moved up from 18th to 14th. So happy, happy, happy move. And UK dropped from 13th to 14th, Australia at 12th. So for everyone listening to the podcast, uh, of course, this doesn't come as a news. We've been talking about Finland as a great place pretty much every week. And, um, and funny thing is, on Deconstructive Fund Slack channel, I've had people working in, in the industry DMing me and asking for like cost of livings and which neighborhoods should they move in, as well as location to where to set up their studio. Like, where is our studio located? Oh, my God. Make it. Okay. Okay. Make it stop, dude. This do, is they, like because- do they ask for the average temperature as well? <laughs> yeah. And I think- average daily sunlight. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> How and much does all- a beer cost in Finland? Yeah. How much they does all- that they, yeah, they always do the survey during the summer in Finland, right? And uh, I swear, this podcast is becoming like a PR machine for freaking Finland, dude. Enough I is enough. I, JK was in Finland in the summer. Like, you were loving it. Like, even your wife was like, damn, like, this is not a bad place. Like, All right, moving on. Moving yeah. on. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I can't take it. Can't take it. Oh, by the way, the U.S. Uh, ranked higher than Canada. <laughs> Bullshit. Bullshit. Complete. Yeah. Great White North, my ass. All right, moving on. All right, starting with the news. First news article we're going to cover is that TechCrunch is reporting that Mr. Beast's management company has started a venture capital fund. The fund is called Night Media, based in Dallas, and they have closed a debut $20 million fund from a bunch of powerful and famous online influencers and other social media stars. So Night Media CEO Reed Dukeshire mentioned they will write initial checks of up to $300,000 and will invest in three categories, consumer startups, gaming startups, and three, the creator economy. And a bit more on CEO Reed Dukeshire, he started off by st- basically stumbling upon this comedy group called Dude Perfect, who we, I'm sure we're all now pretty familiar with, and started working with them. And although he no longer works with Dude Perfect, he now manages 16 other top influencer groups, including ZHC, Preston, Matt Stoney, Unspeakable, Land, Typical Gamer, and Carter Scherer. But the biggest star of his portfolio, however, is Mr. Beast, who, as many of you already know, has over 55 million subscribers on YouTube. Mr. Beast posts about two to three videos each month, and they generally get at least 30 million views. Night Media last year created a joint venture with virtual dining concepts to sell Beast Burgers through a dedicated app. And as some of you already know, Mr. Beast also just recently launched a game called Finger on the App, which charted. And to date, Night Media has invested in roughly a dozen startups. TechCrunch notes that all of the companies have agreed to work with Night Media in exchange for access to its creators and their know-how. What do you guys think? I was like, I was like, what is this? Like, usually we cover gaming news, but now it was like cryptocurrency, and then and then this, this. is gaming news. Like, it's like Mr. it feels Beast. like it, it should be like this week in TikTok. This is this <laughs> show. That Mishka, have called. you heard of some games like Among Us, Fall Guys, I know, Valheim, I know. Escape from Tarkov? What's the commonality? I, I, I get it. And and I, I mean, I, I think 90% of the of audience listening to this, I would argue yeah. that it's higher than 90%. Haven't even heard about these influencers that you're recalling. Also, the Mr. Beast character, you know, it's kind of like sad for humanity. I actually had to go and I thought this was like a gaming influencer, like Ninja. So I went in and I looked at it. And this guy's like top videos is like going through the same drive through a thousand times. Or I ate a $100,000 golden ice cream. Or... I put 100 million Orbeez in my friend's backyard. Like these are watched by millions. Yeah. <laughs> so, but listen, in all fairness, all power to Mr. Beast and all power to Night Media. As you said, influencers are a great source for growth, not only for games, but also for other, other, um, other forms of services and products. So, you know, we also have, have some sponsors. So, you know, we're influencers in, in some capacity. You're not necessarily positive, but... <laughs> 
I mean like negative influencers. Listening to this podcast is a far cry from what listening to <laughs> Mr. Beast, you know. Uh, I'm appalled by this whole thing, frankly. And every time I start watching this crap, I feel like such a boomer because I don't get it, dude. My daughter sits in her bed and watches TikTok for hours, right? I, I, I don't get it. Now, I spend a lot of time watching videos on video games and cars and things like that, but that's different. That's real. <laughs> this is just... A, this stuff is just fantasy and, and just so strange that it's so entertaining to people. You should, you should check out the the VTuber Code Miko. Uh, she's, oh, yeah. she's got this very interesting uh, take on, on being an influencer with an artificial character, right? Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I I do. I feel I feel old every time I start looking at this stuff. I just can't I can't take it anymore. But anyway, I, I like. But I don't think anybody that, can argue like, that this is not important, right? Like this yeah. is obviously very important to the, absolutely the future of the but, gaming. Yeah, I think it makes sense that they're in, investing in in game startups. I don't know about the creator economy. Like, um, it sort of maybe might be like League of Legends, where everybody invested in MOBAs and only League of Legends was left standing, right? Um, and uh, Roblox is is you know the company you want to uh, invest in for the creator economy, and I don't know how much more there's going to be. Um, so, um, you know, I think. In, if they invest in in influencers themselves, um, the the problem with those businesses, I think, is that they they're not going to scale really well, right? And so, so the game startup investments is is probably a good thing, but but the influencer investments and creator economy investments, I don't know about that. Which what are the companies that they're investing from a creator economy perspective? I don't know. I mean, there was a list of some of the com companies, but I don't remember the specific yeah. ones. Like, is it software to help creators do their jobs? Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. All right, we'll have to look into like, it. That makes more sense to me. But I don't know if, how Mr. Beast is a big, is a good judge of, of, of creative content. <laughs> but I'm moving on. You're All such right. a boomer. Such a boomer. I'm such a boomer. <laughs> <laughs> He's the smartest and the coolest guy on earth. God damn it. Now, what do yeah. I know? Um, all right. 2K Sports acquires HB Studios and sides PGA Tour 2K deal with Tiger Woods. Okay. So basically the publishing label of Take-Two announced that they're acquiring this developer that actually, I think they made their game last year, uh, their, their, their golf game. And then they signed a multi-deal deal with Tiger Woods, obviously one of the greatest golfers ever in, 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 in the world. Um, and so the game, I think this game is coming out. Oh, but it's probably it's, his license will probably be used in the next, next version of the game. Cause I think they have another one coming out this year. So, Look, I'm going to upset some fans of Tiger Woods, I think, and probably golf fans in general. Uh, but I love this story because there's so many issues with it and, and so many questions that need to be asked, right? First of all, why the fuck is Take-Two making a golf game, <laughs> okay? You barely get 2 million units out of these this golf game. It is a waste of their time and it's a waste of development effort. Now, I personally love golf games because I'm a boomer, right? And I will buy these games or get them for free from my friends at 2K because... I do that, right? But no one else cares about golf. Okay. Golf, second thing, golf is not a big sport, right? The only thing that made it big was Tiger Woods back in his heyday. But I'm sorry, guys, Tiger Woods is done, right? Like he was done before this last car wreck, right? Because he his, his body is like a 60-year-old in a 45-year-old body, right? Because <laughs> his back is jacked, his legs are jacked. Like he's over. He's only won like two or three tournaments in the last three years, right? Um. And, and, and the, my last question and the biggest question is why in the hell would they release this press release like a week or two after he gets in a huge major accident in which he breaks his legs in three spots and breaks his ankle? I mean, it's so weird that the PR team would not just hold this back until he gets back on, off, on the men, right? Or now, of course, my cynicism coming out again is maybe they did it on purpose because he was all in the press about this accident. So it's going to get more attention by, by releasing it. I don't know. But, you know, with Tiger in the news like he was, maybe that was a better way, a better PR hit for them. Um, but more of a broad thing about Take-Two, and I probably have said this on the podcast before, but their strategy, Take-Two strategy around sports makes absolutely no sense, right? Casual sports for basketball, the NFL deal for non-simulation games, golf, and, you know, someone it seems to be out of their minds creating a strategy on tier three and tier four sports. I mean, what's next? Are we going to see a NASCAR game, a cricket game, rugby game? You know, like 
This has all been done before. And that's what that's what bothers me so much about this is that we've been here before. EA Sports did all of this and it was a disaster for obvious reasons. There's not enough big enough audience for these sports. And 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 and, and in, in golf's case, there's nothing that changes year on year to make it to justify the the buying of the game because it's the same freaking golfers and the same fucking courses, right? And so anyway, this has all been done before. And this is when you need CI. Like this is when you actually do consumer insights, test these things, and then you will realize pretty quickly that none of these ideas make sense. And this is just a waste of resource and a waste of time from take 2K and it's gonna be a disaster. So anyway, anybody have any thoughts on golf or Tiger Woods Who should that they'd they like to share? What? Who should they use for CI? Dan Kwan from Beta Hat. <laughs> yes, Dan Kwan from Beta Hat. <laughs> yes. He will set them straight. Watch our CI podcast. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if, if you've got 2 million units a, a year, maybe you, you get uh, 100 million bucks a year then, right? And no, so no, no, no. If, if you just put your, your business below that, I mean, your costs below that, then you're making money. No. Okay. Well, I, I can't agree. I can't argue with the math. Um, well, it's, no, I can't argue with the math. The thing is that they don't sell 2 million units at $60. They tell 2 million units at the... 15, 20, 30. I mean, the ASP must be really low because it, it just doesn't move, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all—it's also the opportunity cost, right? Of things that they could be doing, right? With these development teams. And yeah, that's uh, but then then you should have three or four football games, right? <laughs> so. Right, 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 right. Uh, anyway, none of it makes sense, a lot of sense to me. Um, they're just like filling up the SKU plan. And again, I'll play it, right? I think there are people that are out there that like it. It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense in terms of scale. All right, next article. Thomas Bravo, SPAC agrees to take Iron Source public. So three things. It's definitely an amazing valuation, 23 times 2021 revenue and 79 times of their 2021 EBITDA. The mere fact that all revenue and no breakdown whatsoever is mentioned in the, um, in the slides is pretty remarkable. And, um, and just as a reference, because Iron Source does have hyper-casual business, usually a hyper-casual business may be worth 10 to 15 times EBITDA. And if you don't have any, any revenue breakdown, and if somebody thinks like, well, all they have is hyper-casual revenue, then in this case, it would be 23% of the revenue in the midst of IDFA deprecation. But let's get deeper. So <clears throat> analyzing the revenue a little bit, uh, in 2020, they did 332 million. So almost all revenue coming in from plus 100K revenue customers, 59% came in from user growth monetization solution, 29% came in from device pla- device placement and telco solution, meaning that 12% of total re- revenue remaining from other streams, and that would be mainly supersonic, their hyper-casual business, which according to this generates pretty much between 30 to 35 million roughly, and did a little bit of a sanity check on Sensor Tower, makes all the sense. So things to, to talk about. There's not much to chew on this SPAC document without breaking down revenue or EBITDA. Clearly it is intentional and they are positioning as this as top tier software equity story with high margins and high retention. Indeed, Iron Source is a platform play and publishers will keep spending on the platform as it's one of the biggest ad networks, mediation and monetization companies in the world. These are facts. The only concern from that, these the underlying spend is on user acquisition, which by all means is not as sticky and powerful end product as other volume-based software enabled for core business functions, like for example, Unity, which offers um, a tool for game developers and then is something that, that won't be affected as much as, as user acquisition. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to compare this to AppLovin because last time I was trying to talk, talk about AppLovin, you guys totally shat on me. So let's go get back to it. <laughs> uh, there was a fantastic newsletter from Invest Game, and this was done by Sergey. He I dug like up guys. AppLovin S1 in his latest newsletter. It was really buried fairly long in a very long analysis, so it may have been unnoticed. So he took a closer look at AppLovin's revenue breakdown in the S1 and looks like this in the report. 71% is ad revenue generated by AppLovin games. This is Lion Studios and others. So basically in 2020, AppLovin did 740 million in in in-app purchases, which is 51% of their total revenue. They did 505 million in ad revenue, which is 35% of their revenue. And they did only 200 million, which is 14% of their revenue through ad tech, which is actually less than IronSource. 
So really, AppLovin is much closer to a gaming company with an ad tech slash ad network on the side and a 50-50 app, um, sorry, and then the game platform kind of making the most. So if your business is doing 50% from in-app purchases, 35% from ads, and rest from the ad tech, in my honest opinion, this is much closer to Playtika and Zynga at 15 times EBITDA than to the Unities, the Trade Decks, the Robloxes at 20 to 30%, 30 times revenue. So I know app loving people are listening to this. And in case I got the numbers wrong, in case Sergey got the numbers wrong, uh, let us know and we will rectify. Or you can come in and talk about this, which I'm sure you won't. But uh, but but this is this puts things into perspective, and that is why the platform play is so important. That is why the multiples are just absolutely insane because you're not playing against game companies, even though you are a game company, but you're presenting yourself as the growth loop, um, whatever hyper wheel, whatever you you may call it through through that ad tech component. And this also speaks of Zynga's strategy of adding ad tech to them. Maybe they will be soon seen as well as this sort of a. Uh, service provider platform company. Dude, heaven help us all, dude. Heaven help us all. Um, so I, I'll just say this quickly is that going through a SPAC, uh, it could really end badly, just generally speaking, um, with, without the type of scrutiny that that is required to go public. We've talked about this before. Um, their, <laughs> their IPO value puts them at 22.7 times revenue. Is that is that right? Um, and, they, and, the, and the irony here is that one of the guys on the on the Slack channel pointed out that the, in a press release like two years ago, they said that 2019 revenue was 900 million, and yet in their SPAC document, it's 181 million. So, I mean, it seems like a red flag that they their their revenue changed so dramatically. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's partly because of different types of accounting that they're they're employing now. But uh, anyway, is it accounting or is it gross net? Probably it's something along those lines. I, I'm sure, but like anyway. So, but these are the things that like are uncovered by going through a full vetted IPO process. It's like these these accounting issues, which I think is going to hurt skills and 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 maybe even um, Unity uh, when when the time comes. But we'll see. But Unity seems to be really pretty. Yeah, I don't understand why why you can't get the full like S one like financials at, at a at a time when the SPAC is actually announced, um, and you have to wait for it to get filed. Uh, it's not required. Sometimes sometimes months right yeah it's, they're, they're raising and you know they're, they're getting investors interested in the stock during that time uh, and yet you know uh from what i saw on the slides of the risk factors like they didn't they didn't mention idfa at all as, as a risk factor right i mean it's, yeah it's weird no and this is like all part of like the land grab just to get it you know to cash out as much as possible it's, it's really quite frightening to me anyway so here's where these things kind of start to fall apart. And this has already happened with skills a little bit and certainly Unity is that, and Unity I know was not a SPAC, but anyway, their implied growth rates were kind of given during, during their presentations, but, or, and the expectations were set during the IPO process. But with the SPAC, they can actually go and give you long-term projections, right? You can't do that when you file a general IPO. And so what, what, what these guys are doing at Iron Source is they're putting together a forecast where they're going to grow 37% in the next two years, right? And so <laughs> at $11 billion valuation, right, they better do that, right? Because if they don't, then the stock is going to get annihilated, right? And, and so that's what's happening with Unity. They brought down their kind of implied guidance. They brought down their implied guidance for long-term growth. Skills kind of did the same thing, you know, even though they had a good quarter. And so this is where all these companies are, are going to start to fall, I think, right? And, and to Dean's point, um, what the fuck, you know, where's IDFA issues that, how is that going to impact all these businesses, including app loving? And, and it doesn't seem like if there's a mention of it, right? Like this is happening in a week, right? And they don't, they don't even discuss it. Right. It, this is, it just it is very, very, very concerning for me as someone that's been covering video games investments for so long, uh, to see these kind of valuations on companies with a lot of potential threats. And I don't know, um, Iron Source is a really good friend of the podcast, right? And I, yeah. I love, I really like those guys. Like I've talked to them a lot. I just think, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't go public. What I'm saying is the valuations are implying things that may or may not actually happen, right? And that have not been really fully vetted, right? And and so that always makes me a little bit concerned. But we'll see how it all, you know, how, how it all works out. Yeah, I mean, it seems like what people are assuming is that 
Iron Source will eventually adopt more of an AppLovin or Zynga type of model, right? Is is what what it seems like people are assuming. If Mishka, what you're saying is right, where the majority if people are expecting based upon the advantage they have from a you know ad network ad tech perspective that you can get content advantages and that eventually the majority of your your revenue is going to be coming from the content side, then you know that that could be part of the the, the valuation uh, justification. Yeah, it's it's also just a different different model. Like if you go with a SaaS model and you list yourself with that, the, the multiples are twenty to thirty percent. And then if you're a game company, it's ten to fifteen. So I think that's the play with AppLovin. That seems to be the play with Iron Source. Just showing that we're a platform. And naturally, Iron Source is an ad tech company. They do have gaming business, but it's it's you know what fifteen percent of all the revenue. But AppLovin was interesting. That Sergey's breakdown that they actually make vast majority of their money through just normal gaming business and when they present themselves they there's like this flywheels it's this and that and this and like it's a full on they they talk about apps they don't even say games and it's a gaming company yeah i, I wouldn't be surprised to see app app Levin actually expand into apps as well though i mean that would they will they will expand to anything they're, yeah. they're i think like, like like fun plus like fun plus does you know whatever makes sense we'll do it so so I think they, they, they see it the same way. They're very opportunistic, but today it is a gaming business. When they're IPOing, it is straight up gaming business with an ad tech component. All right, let's move on. Um, so facing post-Trump slowdown, the New York Times is eyeing the $100 billion games market. Um, so the New York Times is currently under pressure to diversify their brand away from news uh, for obvious reasons. Um, the Times is actually investing more in its cooking app, selling subscriptions to Wirecutter, its product recommendation site, um, and even experiment with Autumn. I don't know how to, to say it properly, but a, a read aloud audio subscription. So obviously they're trying to diverse away from news. They're trying a bunch of different things and games is one of them. Right. Um, the goal is, you know, trying to drive as much new types of engagement from within the New York Times app. And I think that's kind of a critical component here. Um, so, you know, let's enter gaming, obviously. Right. Obviously, the easiest way, easiest in industry to enter drive reach and margin. Right. Um, let's see. So the interesting thing here, uh, which actually kind of changed my opinion about this, of just the immediate assumption of reading the headline and reading the article of, you know, who's joining games, who's completely naive about the costs and of entering this industry. Um, like they already actually have a pretty decent slice of this. They have 840,000 game subscribers um, year over year. So they have a $40 a year subscription um, and it's growing about 40% year over year from 2019 to 2020. So they have goals like Apple to actually even bundle some of these subscriptions together with the cooking thing and the wire cutter thing and the gaming thing. Okay, this makes sense. So now they've added Jonathan Knight uh, to join the New York Times after leaving WB and previously from Zynga, where he was the SVP of the Ville games and the With Friends games uh, to help build out this word game portfolio within the company. So I think like really the question to kind of chum the waters here and get some debate going is what would you do if you were the New York Times, right? Like, and you had you were sitting on this gaming asset. Would you create? Uh, would you create this app within the New York Times app, or would you create solely separate games, try to drive as much reach with them, and then and then pull them towards that central app uh, as a yeah. secondary thing? Yeah, and actually, maybe we should hear from Dean. Dean, as someone who's part of uh, you know kind of uh, new you know news source, it'd be great to hear what you think in terms of. What, you know, would you guys have Venture Beat Gaming Division or Games Beat Gaming <laughs> Division as well? What do you yeah. think? Um, no, I think it's a very interesting move. I mean, the, you know, I, I, I think that um, the business models have to change in, in the media industry, you know, right. especially anything that's built um, so heavily around advertising, right? It's like a, always a, um, a race to the bottom uh, when uh, you're trying to, you know, extract good ad rates out. And uh, I think that, um, I don't know if you guys heard of this uh, company Arcadium before in New York, but um, you know, they, they supply simple web games uh, to uh, like newspapers and, you know, other media companies. And, uh, and these, 
uh, generate, you know, revenue um, for for the um, uh, just traffic that they get. Uh, and so, uh, I think if if they've tried that at the New York Times, then I think that's probably you know just the sort of unclaimed revenue that you know they could otherwise get for the traffic that they have, which is you know considerable. Um, and uh, and then it becomes like okay, if if you're going to you know invest in the game business, like how serious are you about that? Uh, because as we just saw with Google, right? I mean, you know, when, I, when a non-games company does, dives into games, Google even hired 150 people. Um, uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't often end well. Um, and so, if if there's a a reason to do New York Times branded games, then I think that's what they have to to search for and, and focus on here. Uh, whereas, you know, if, if they are just trying to do the next match three game or something like that, then that's, uh, that's pretty dangerous. Yeah. Uh, I, my off the cut analysis was pretty much the same as, as Adam, Adam pointed out, like when I read this and I actually knew this before I, I, I know Jonathan Knight and I saw his Facebook update months, months, months ago that he joined New York times. So I, at that point, I thought the same thing. I'm like, this makes no sense. Like, why would a liberal newspaper that writes these super in-depth, long-form articles be making games? So, but further thought, I mean, Adam, you pointed it already. They have a games business. And I think a lot of their readers, this is just to- totally hypothetical, and not even the type of readers that would download apps. Uh, and this would be something inside that that reading experience where it, where they would play crosswords and normal stuff that you do have in newspapers like back in the days when we didn't have smartphones. And also, you know, they they could leverage their cross promotion and their ad monetization skills and maybe the ad monetization from the games could actually help them to monetize uh, the newspaper better. I've always, for example, wondered why can't I just watch some news articles so that I can read a little bit of a newspaper, maybe watch some more so I can continue reading it rather than them asking me to subscribe for like 25 years to this newspaper. Anyway, uh, when we think about their competences, they do have they have made games and they have been fairly successful. That's why they're investing into this. Um, they haven't really run a games business business before, but now they have JK. Oh, so sorry. Joseph, before I knew you as a JK, I knew JK as a JK, and that's Jonathan Knight. Mm-hmm. So, so JK is there running, you know, he used to be running Friends, he used to run Ville, he actually ran both at the same time, then he was running Warner Brothers San Francisco. So I've worked under, J- under JK, and he runs his shit like a train. So he has his own playbook, and he executes that playbook to AT. So I reckon, like, what's going to happen next is... Um, they will have a more professional approach to making games. They will bring a bunch of Zynga PMs to, to the foil. And um, there will be some turnover because that will shift uh, a certain type of culture inside the company. Same thing happened at Warner Brothers San Francisco. Uh, you know, a lot of people, Zynga people came in, there were a little bit of a shift, and then they moved along with a new type of organization. And I think, you know, they'll be chugging along and making several games in the in the coming quarters. I don't know how successful this this would be. Um, I have I have actually no clue. I hope it's going to be successful. I hope New York Times can diversify and 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 keep their their audience entertained uh, in other forms than being outraged at everything uh, and and, uh, and and all the other forms. Like I hope they will just be you know playing crosswords rather than than. Um, and reading let's the not, newspaper. Let's not make this political. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I like the New York Times. Let's just let's just say I hope they enjoy crosswords. <laughs> I, I think one thing that would be interesting is like I don't know if you guys ever saw the the sort of Syria sort of a, like a trip through Syria virtual reality experience, but yeah. uh, you know, uh, seeing like a like a place that you could never otherwise see uh, through something like VR is, uh, is kind of incredible. And it was like an incredible move, move forward for journalism, I think. Uh, and so if somehow they could, they could, you know, wrap content like that into, uh, into games, then, you know, that is something that nobody else does. Yeah, maybe. Or then the other hand, when we look at the article that JK presented, where all the, the people want to want to you know watch is how you can drive through drive through one thousand <laughs> times and order hamburgers, <laughs> and that is the best content 
you can have in America. So I don't know. I don't know, like the, the audience preferences, like, or should I watch like despair and, and, and just horrible things happening in Syria or drive through 100,000 times? So it seems like, uh, it seems like people have voted towards the, uh, the other direction, just numbing themselves with, with pointless uh, entertainment. So <laughs> I don't know. My only comment, this seems to make sense. You know, you make smart apps for smart people and you help with the retention and engagement, advertising, whatever, maybe even keep the subscriptions live, you know? Um, I don't know. seems worth it. I always liked Jonathan. I, I knew him at EA briefly and then I met him again at Warner. I think he seems to be the right guy for this kind of thing and I think he can kill it. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I do think New York Times <clears throat> needs, needs a little of assistance. <laughs> now that Trump's out of office. So this might, this might help. Yeah, I think the thing to consider, uh, to Dean's point, right? It's like media companies need other sources of, sources of revenue. I, I'm a little bit less optimistic than you guys, because when you think about newspapers and the kind of games that make sense associated with like the New York Times, it's basically crosswords, Sudoku and cooking, right? And maybe, maybe comics but it's it's not it's not a lot and so i mean i don't know jonathan's background but like you know you've got potentially limited scope and then you really like i mean didn't didn't he work on midcore games i mean I, again i don't know him no, at all but no, 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 no. He, worked on, he, worked he worked on ville and he worked on words with friends okay yeah, well, then, yeah maybe, maybe it's a good fit but a west you know, games right. yeah yeah, the we'll, we'll location-based games. So uh, Jonathan is just—he's like a—he's an executioner. Like he just executes games. Like they—they they come out under him. Like that's what he's known as. Uh, he gets the organization and just ships games. So that's why I said like there will be shipping games and there will be reorgs. Like in my opinion, like not not crazy reorgs, but he will yeah. change the organization to the form where he can perform at its best. Right. I mean, I think to the extent that there is an existing model, that's the right kind of person to scale an existing proven model, but to the extent that you need to finesse this a little bit and figure out, you know, how do we do cooking or cooking games or whatever in a new or innovative way, I would be a little bit concerned. But but I would raise this, like what is the type of management that New York Times has? Like how much are they, they're, you know, how much they're in tune, how much they understand of this, how much they are gonna invest into this, how much are they gonna be, you know, putting their fingers in like, let's not do this, let's do that, how much creative input they will be giving or is Jonathan able to run this organization the best, you know, the way he feels it should be run? And the second point that I wanted to point out is, is Jonathan has been shipping big games. Like he's been working on big games and trying to ship really, really big games, like the Harry Potters, the Westworlds, uh, Farmvilles, um, you know, Words with Friends, these type of games. And now is he going to go down, like not down, is he going to go and, and ship like no name crossword games? I don't think so. I think his aspiration level is much higher. So that's uh, that's also a big question there. Yeah, obviously the detractor here is the innovators dilemma working within a massive company that doesn't really understand this business, right? I think that's that was obvious right from the headline. Um, but if if you limit the scope to just word games, right? Word games dominantly have pretty good reach and have actually pretty good retention. They just don't monetize all that well. So now they have the leverage of being able to monetize through their existing advertising networks, obviously not going to be super optimized, still, still going to make money there and also drive towards subscriptions of their gaming subscription or the, the subscription sub, like the, the grouping subscription. So overall, I think if their ambitions, like as the New York Times, if their ambitions match their cap here, um, then it could be fine. If their ambitions are to win, yeah, these guys aren't going to beat the hyper-casual developers in the space, right? Um, but I think if their ambitions actually match their cap, then this this will be fun. They should make casino games. No, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's uh, well. Actually, did we want to talk about Discord? Yeah, yeah. Dean, you got you got an exclusive inside info for us. Is is Microsoft buying them? Well, we did uh, do that exclusive report that they were. Uh, 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 in talks uh, with one company uh, for an acquisition that could be worth more than $10 billion. Um, and uh, unfortunately, Bloomberg didn't contradict me, but uh, but they did also additional reporting and they, they also confirmed what um, 
what I was uh, hinting at in my story, and that was the, the company that's in, in the talks with Discord is Microsoft. And uh, I believe that they're in an exclusive um, uh, talks uh, uh, period, which uh, uh, typically I think lasts about 30 days. Um, so uh, that means that uh, you know it's a lot more serious, I think, than just kicking the tires um, and seeing if they can they can do this, or maybe they do an IPO or something like. But you know, if you if you go into exclusive talks with anyone, then you're pretty serious about uh, making something happen. And uh, I think Microsoft's, um, you know, probably has a pretty good pitch for Discord that, uh, you know, we can help you accomplish your mission uh, easier and faster and more effectively than if you were on your own and tried to go through an IPO and stay on your mission. Yeah, and, and they and, know, <laughs> like, didn't yeah. they acquire Yammer <laughs> so, back in the day? <laughs> and like, yeah, they, and that's Slack is kind of. Uh... <laughs> they, they acquired Skype. They they acquired uh, <laughs> uh, Mixer, right? Yeah, they, they, um, yeah, they, they, their track record's a little bit suspect. But part of part of the strategy here probably is the bankers are probably throwing these press releases out there to garner more interest than Microsoft. I mean, that's a general ploy of M and A bankers, right? I mean, Dean. Uh, are you asking leaks? me who my sources are? No, 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 I didn't. Sorry, didn't mean to. Didn't mean to go there. Uh, anyway, no, so no. I, I, let me just make it a state of fact. Yeah. Bankers have strategies in which they throw it out there so that they get more interest from other potential buyers. This happens all the time, and mm -hmm. it's happened many times. And we've talked about it in the podcast before. Um, the second thing is like we were talking about this in the Slack channel. It's like there are very few companies that actually can afford Discord because they lose so much freaking money. <laughs> Right? So it's like when you buy $10 billion and you're losing hundreds of millions of dollars, I don't know how much they're losing, but they're losing a lot. So there are very few people that can actually acquire this company and 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 they're big enough to absorb these type of losses. It's like similar to um, uh, Twitch, right? I mean, Amazon, Twitch loses hundreds of millions of dollars a year. I keep saying that and they still lose hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And so only Amazon, a company like Amazon could actually acquire that kind of asset. So, but it's- yeah, Their revenues uh, last year were $140 million. And um, yeah, everybody kind of like compares Discord to like, oh, this could be the next Roblox, right? Um, but Roblox had what, uh, almost 2 billion in bookings and you know $923 million in revenue. Um, and Discord is like a 10th of that, right? Yeah, so, right, right. Um, Trying to go public on a tenth of what Roblox has—that's uh, th not going to be that easy, I think. No, and and the problem is they don't have a business model, right? Business, Discord really doesn't have a, a solution for a business model, and um, but how they been showing? Interesting pretty... thing is okay. that they've 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 sort of turned down the business opportunity of advertising, right? And right. they are strictly a subscription business, and uh, and they believe that that is essential to the user experience uh, of Discord. Right, and, and Twitch founders had the same type of vision that they were made for the creators, not made to make money from the creators, or something along those lines. Like the philosophy was not a revenue generating philosophy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so anyway, I, 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 you know, Microsoft can make as many plays as they want, right? They got all this money, they can try it again, right? I, I, I would be, but I, if I were Discord, I don't know if I would go to Microsoft, to be honest. <laughs> but just, just do SPAC. <laughs> oh no! Please no. <laughs> they have a. They do have a, a more focused and serious uh, game division than um, than I have ever seen at Microsoft right now. You know, like a, yeah. acquiring a dozen companies in the last couple of years, uh, including Bethesda. Right. I mean, right. that's. That's showing their intention that they they are really serious about games. Yeah, you know, I I was not going to mention this. I had a talk with Mike Verdu. Do you know Mike Dean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and he gave me some insights about you know why you know these companies these big companies fail on on gaming is and we've said it in the podcast before, but having him say it makes me feel smarter. Right? Is that like you have to create a separate entity that does games because any big tech company that says, oh yeah, we're gonna do games and we're gonna do it the Facebook way or we're gonna do it the Google way, <laughs> they're going to fail, right? Because that's not the way you make games, right? And so 
I agree. Now that you actually mentioned it, you know, Microsoft did one of the big companies that did a good job of separating Xbox into to a different campus and a different operating entity. You know, they they basically were beholden upon themselves, and 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 that turned out to be successful. And then every other thing like Amazon and Google have failed so miserably because they try to do it their way, and that way doesn't work. So, uh, anyway, it's a good point about Microsoft and Discord because they would probably make it work better. Although, yeah. what? I, mean, <laughs> what? I know it's a former Sony executive who went to Amazon and asked them that, like, are you going to let us operate on our own the way we think is right? Um, and they said, well, you're going to be part of Amazon. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so that wasn't the right answer. And so the guy didn't yeah. take the job. Yeah. You I'm, don't very, believe, you don't, I'm very negative you don't on Microsoft. Joseph. Yeah. And then like, look at, look at Minecraft, <laughs> quite possibly the most under leveraged game product in the world. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like where Roblox has taken off. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know why you yeah, thought that. Minecraft is doing great. Minecraft it's is killing it right but now. But what could it what could it do? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it could have been Roblox. It, I anyway. think it is Roblox. It's it's just as big as Roblox. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're big in a different way. It's it's not Roblox, but it's but super popular. And I, actually, I think they've done better with the demographic. I think they've actually been able to expand the demographic for Minecraft compared to and, uh, Roblox. And what they got it for, like, was it a, a billion? Billion, right? I mean, that price compared <laughs> yeah, no, no, to the oh price people it, are paying today for things. Yeah. Could you imagine? Could it's you imagine? Incredible. Yeah. incredible buy. I just think they they, they need to leverage it better. That 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 that, that founder that. Yeah. The, the founder of Minecraft could have bought a thousand seventy million dollar houses in in L.A. Right? You know, <laughs> if he had waited like a few years. <laughs> well, I wonder what he's doing now. Is he just out, Dean? Do you know? I, the last I heard, he was throwing big parties. Yeah. <laughs> Build out the one who was in the party. Right, right, no, no, yeah. <laughs> hey, Dean. <laughs> Dean, thanks a lot for coming. I, uh, I honestly, it's, it's, it's almost an honor to have someone like you on the podcast who actually knows what they're talking about. Um, uh, thank you, thank you. Um, all right, just, just kind of in, in conclusion, Dean, do you have any final message for our audience, or how can people reach out to you? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, well, thank you for uh, having me on the podcast. It's fun. Uh, and uh, I think there should be more fun in the world. So that's <laughs> great. Uh, I'm Dean Tech on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I run a conference uh, that's going to have a, a next installment on April 20th and 29th. Nice. All right, guys. Well, there you have it. That's it. See y'all later. Bye. 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 <laughs>